0: Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, an award-winning tour showcasing Asheville's spectacular rooftop views and fascinating city history. Enjoy handcrafted drinks and delicious food with reserved seating and transportation included. Visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. RomanticAsheville.com Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky With the region's most popular online travel guide Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains By visiting RomanticAsheville.com Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball Sit back and be carried away to places around the world And right here in our own backyard No passport required.
1: Hi, this is Marilyn Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, and on all your favorite podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, Pandora, and Amazon. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, and links to stories from people who have a fearless approach to life and are driven by passion. My guest today is one of these special people. Susan Gibson has been involved in the nonprofit world for more than 35 years, and she's worked and volunteered in 70 countries. In fact, she started volunteering in her own hometown of Toronto, Canada, when she was just a teenager. And her book, How to Be an Amazing Volunteer Overseas, Rules of the Road, Stories from the Field, is a practical and helpful tool to motivate aspiring volunteers to contribute in so many ways. And Susan, we certainly need that more than ever. So welcome to Speaking of Travel.
2: Thanks a lot, Marilyn, for having me. I really am grateful to be here. Well, Susan, I am
1: very in awe of your life.
2: (laughs) I I've mean, been
1: very lucky. You have been very lucky. and But luck comes with chutzpah and drive and ambition and and wonder and curiosity. And it seems to me that if you were a teenager looking to do volunteer work, then you must have had all of that going on in your young mind. Is
2: that true? It is very true. I was very lucky to live in a really interesting, uh, dynamic city of, uh, of Toronto, and I loved Uh, getting involved with the community. And I started doing things like volunteering as a reception at a a place called Elizabeth Fry Society, women coming out of jail, or tutoring at Frontier College, helping people who are coming out of jail to learn how to read and write, and the Daily Bread Food Bank. I loved working and finding out the needs in the community.
1: Well, give us an idea of what it was like for you to dream of travel. Did your family travel when you were a kid?
2: Yes, we went to Florida. <laughs> that was our, you know, my first overseas oh, international trip. And my parents love travel and they went away for three weeks every May and worked on the, and planned on that trip all year. We were left at home, my two younger brothers and me. But I remember how much they loved planning that trip and then going on it and sharing the, the stories afterwards. So the foundation was laid pretty young and my first overseas trip was going to Europe on a bike trip when I was 18. And once that happened, the travel bug was laid, and I never looked back. And I kept planning my next next trip after that.
1: Susan, that seems like it was a really big trip. And it must have really just sparked something that was to foreshadow the rest of your life. So give us an idea of what was going on in that brain of yours to think, I like
2: this, I want to keep going. That's exactly what I thought. I want to do more of this, but I wanted to go to university and I went off and studied for a few years, always trying to plan the next trip, which I uh, I did after university. And I love the nonprofit sector having volunteered. So I got full-time jobs working in community development in some way, including at the United Way. The United Way is a great resource for your readers because every community has a United Way and they all support local community uh, organizations that are doing lots of interesting, productive things in the community. And I was a staff person there and I became a fundraiser and it got to make me understand what the needs in Toronto were. And because I like traveling on the side for pleasure, I thought, I wonder if I can combine these two things. Like, can I volunteer somewhere else, not just in Toronto? And that's what made me, that's what led me to my first international trip, which was to Haiti, but I was 30 years old. I had a lot of work experience under my belt and I'd finished my studies. I volunteered on the side and I traveled on the side and then I tried to combine the two.
1: Wow. Well, that is very inspiring and awe-inspiring even because to go on that path and to see service lit up is something that we're all working on. You know, I think that it's inside us, but it's sometimes hard to recognize that we can actually help others if we help ourselves.
2: But I'm curious, what was Haiti like at that time? To your point there, you know, I think it's it's in your nature if you like to do this kind of thing. Some people just, it doesn't um, light a fire. You know, I really liked it. I liked meeting lots of different people and figuring things out. I am not an academic don't want to read a lot of literature but i really like connecting with people and it turns out it's a strength of mine so that's why local volunteering is a great experience because you quickly find out what are the things that really inspire you and then what are you good at what can you bring to the table and so that's what helped me But in terms of Haiti, I was looking for an opportunity somewhere that was relatively close to North America, that was safe. I spoke some French, so I could communicate in French. And I thought that will be a good test to put my French to use and work on translation. So I figured that would be a I I could be helpful in that regard. Haiti was a very exciting place at the time because Aristide had just been elected. And that was um, after a lot of corruption through the Duvalier days. So there was a a feeling of hope there. It was really a great time to be there. However, I didn't really have the opportunity to research the organization I went to work for um, as a volunteer. And I ended up at an evangelical rural mission. And suffice to say, I wasn't on the same page as everybody there. And I quickly realized being of help, you have to be on the same wavelength as everybody else. So I was able to sort of carve out a niche, but it was uh, it was challenging to say the least. <laughs> so, and it was a very rustic environment, you know, with uh, army cots, open windows, and, you know, there was a lot of vermin and mosquitoes and occasional tarantula. And so it was, you know, for a girl from Toronto, that was quite an experience. So I, I did my best for five weeks. And then I decided it was time to move on and find a better fit. And I was able to go to the Capital port Press prince and um, work on um, accounting because I had a banking background. And I found a fit, which I really enjoyed. So sometimes it takes trial and error. You know, it doesn't always work right at the beginning. But I always thought, You just try something for a while and see if it comes together great. If it doesn't, there's always a way you can leave in a a dignified way that gives people lots of notice. So that that was my experience. That's
1: such a good story, Susan, because so many of us, you know, we might think, oh, I want to give this a try or I want to give this a try, whether it's volunteering or anything, anything creative, because that's really part of what this is all about, and I just read this really interesting article where the uh, the author was talking about, you know, sometimes you just have to give up, give up that because yeah. you can start over. You can yeah. take that and start over, which is exactly what you did. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk about how you made that transition from your time in Haiti looking for that great fit and how you planned it out to make that work for you for a long time. Thanks. That'd be great. All right. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. I'm here today with Susan Gibson, and we're talking about volunteering and working in our community. And I do want to give a big shout out to the United Way right here in Asheville, North Carolina. They do so much for our community, and it would be a benefit for you to look them up. So stay tuned, we'll be right back.
2: Hi, this is Kay. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can. With an expert guide by your side, you'll have an all access pass to
1: what makes Asheville so unique. Our sense of place, history and awe,
2: along with great food and drinks and spectacular views. We follow safety protocols on every tour. Come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award, placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com.
3: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold oh.
1: Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. And I'm here today with Susan Gibson. And Susan has written a book, How to Be an Amazing Volunteer Overseas, Rules of the Road, Stories from the Field. And Susan, it is just such a pleasure to have you on Speaking of Travel. And I want to hear about these stories from the field. You are all over all over the world. So
2: pick us back up after your Haiti uh, adventure. Well, even though Haiti wasn't what I thought it might turn out to be, it still was a great learning experience. And I thought, I want to do this better, but I need to learn how. So I went back to school and I went to the School for International Training in Vermont. Fantastic school, very experiential and how you do community problem solving internationally and it was it was actually one of the uh, original locations of the peace corps training center so i went off there and 6 month graduate program all your work's done in groups you really learn how to work with people from different cultures and people who bring different ideas to the table and you know it's challenging but great training and we had to do an internship and i'd heard about Professor Muhammad Yunus, who started the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for microfinance in 2006. But he was already, you know, a fantastic leader uh, back in the early 90s. And I saw him on a video at our in our class at 60 Minutes, and I thought, oh, I want to go and meet him. He is doing something incredible, and I want to learn from him. And all of a sudden, the dynamic about going to help changed to going to learn, because here was somebody doing something amazing. I wasn't thinking about helping the people in Bangladesh. I was thinking, this guy is doing something, providing access to credit for poor women who had small income generating activities, and he was providing them loans, and they were repaying them. And I just thought this was fantastic. So in those days, pre-internet, I know, hard to imagine, I sent a couple of faxes and I didn't hear anything back. So I said to a couple of classmates, you know, I think we need to go to Bangladesh. I think that's a really interesting place to go and we should go do our internships there. And I was able to convince a couple of people to get on a plane with me. And I said, there's all these things going on in Bangladesh. I'm sure we can find our internships there. So I didn't really care what they were going to do, but I knew where I was going and I, knocked on the door at Grameen Bank in Dhaka and said, I'm here. I sent a few faxes and I didn't hear back from you, but here I am. And I'd like to be of service. I can teach English. I can uh, transcribe notes. I can translate into French. And they thought this was, Professor Yunus thought this was kind of amusing. And he took me on. I was no cost to him. And It was a challenge because it was a Bangladeshi-speaking organization, um, and I took Bangla lessons every day at my expense for three hours with my colleagues who also found other internships. But it really changed my life because I saw what he did with his team to address poverty in Bangladesh and making sure keeping people's dignity intact. And it was awe-inspiring, absolutely awe-inspiring. And even though it was challenging, that experience changed my life because I thought this is the kind of work I want to do. And I can use my training experience from grad school to teach people about these microfinance principles, uh, how you provide access to credit to poor people. So That was an incredibly worthwhile and fruitful uh, experience that started my career in microfinance.
1: Susan, I'm just in awe. What a fabulous story. I feel like a movie is in the making here. I can just envision this young girl knocking on that door and, and coming to learn, you know, just to be a sponge and say, teach me, I'm
2: here. Well, you know, you have to realize... I think a lot of people they like this idea about going to another place and the the exotic uh, nature of it. But you're also a liability and a challenge for people because you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture. You know, it's um, and when you realize you have to figure out how can you how can you be helpful and not a burden? Because all these organizations who are doing amazing work around the world. Um, they have limited budgets. And when you come along, you're representing soaking up their time. So you have to figure out what can I do that isn't draining their resources. And sometimes that's not possible. Some organizations say, sorry, we can't take you on unless you speak the language, then that changes things drastically. But I tried to make sure that I found a niche and they also had some international component in there in at the Grameen Bank because they were there was a great interest in what they were doing. Microfinance exists in every country in the world now and it's really because of that model that started in Bangladesh. So there was already an interest of people coming and because of that I was able to be helpful welcoming people and we had these things called an international dialogue and so I had work experience behind me too. So that was, you know, that certainly helped. And I felt like I contributed something but i definitely learned way more than i was able to contribute
1: and then would you consider yourself a teacher now or how do you how do you look at what your work in your in your interests has really been
2: i would say it's a conduit to resources cheerleader Trying to connect people, a connector, I guess, is the the best thing that I can think of because I do have resources, information, and leads to uh, you know connect other people. So I wouldn't say it's teaching. I'm just making sure I'm relaying information. And on that point, one thing that I did do in my work when I ended up being a microfinance consultant internationally. I realized when I was going to different countries to do these workshops about microfinance and explain the principles, I often was training local staff members. And I realized the most important thing for any new concept is people have to be able to discuss and understand and experience it among themselves. And doing it in other languages is really not that helpful. So what I would do is I'd arrive early and I would work with the people who spoke English because i have to say if i could do everything over i would learn spanish arabic spanish and arabic for sure that that would have been incredibly helpful and get my french in really good shape but i worked with the people who spoke english we designed the workshop and we did it all in the local language and i in, i refused to have a translator because i could follow along i knew what we were doing and i would just say you know welcome everybody you know hope it's a good workshop and I was training them to do their own workshop. And that was what I thought was way more important. It's not about my ego, although sometimes you're thinking, you know, you'd like a little <laughs> appreciation and people were, but it's way more important that they actually get the information and are able to apply it. And so I really love that part of my job. I figured that aspect out is that if I could hand it over and it could become workable for them, that would be the best use of um my time. And I have no control over what happens next, but they're the ones who are going to implement their activities. And that's it's up to them to make it work.
1: Well, as a Deller role model and leader, Susan, I would imagine that as you're working with these people and helping train them to be the best that they can, they're seeing those qualities unfold right in front of them. So for that, I just want to give a shout out to you for Oh. Being on that path, that was really, you know, to me, that's that's one of the most important foundations of uh, service, is helping well, others. Well, I have
2: to say, the School for International Training was really great about intercultural training and working in multicultural groups. And we always want to have the right answer, and we don't. You know, it's, it's working together to find A path that we can all work with that works for all of us. And our uh, experiences are very different from other people's and you can't impose your ideas. And that helped me so much. I can't even say that that education really helped me a lot. And when I would go to new places, I would always say, I'm so grateful to be a guest in your country. I'm new here, so I don't know the answers, but I'm willing to share the resources I have. And people really warmed up to that because I wasn't telling them what the solution was. I would, you know, I knew something about this thing called microfinance, but I, you know, I don't know their situation and how, so I would say, take me to your programs and let's see what your areas of issue are. And then maybe we could figure out together how we could implement that. And I have to say, certainly back in, the nineties, this wasn't how people were doing things. And so it was, but it was very well received because people were keen to work together on a solution that they were going to implement rather than an outsider implementing.
1: Well, I applaud that. I think that this is why our borders started to come down because of the work that people like you were doing back then to open up People's mindsets of what the what the world is about, and that you know, people in other places are just like us. They have their own lives and and ways of doing things. Bridging that together was uh, uh, just so important to connect and bridge cultures. Well, when we come back from the break, Susan, I want to talk to you about community now and what it's like to to be able to take those same principles in this day and time and work within our communities to help. So, Absolutely. Susan Gibson, and I'm thrilled to have you on Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball, and we'll be right back.
3: Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree Hugger. Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals, don't eat them. Go solar, coexist. Don't buy a dog, rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subaruville, Prestige Subaru, on the web at PrestigeSubaru.com.
4: Hi, I'm Diana Ralston, founder and executive director of Candade a national nonprofit movement rallying people to become catalysts for change in their own communities. Hand Aid motivates volunteers across the country to work on programs like wildfire restoration, community murals, bike and skateboard builds for disadvantaged youth, and distributing clean drinking water to communities in need post-disaster. Hand Aid is based on the simple belief that everyone has the ability and desire to give back and do good. As it turns out, doing good feels good which generates even more good and creates a ripple effect of goodness. The Candaid movement is growing. Our positive experiences turn first-time volunteers into lifers. To learn more about our work, make a donation, or join the movement, please check out Candade.org. That's C-A-N-D-A-I-D dorg.
3: Fly me to the moon
1: Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I am here today with my guest, Susan Gibson. And Susan has been working in the nonprofit world and volunteered in 70 countries. And Susan, I have to ask you about that because we were talking about a couple of your trips, but 70 countries. Come on, that's a lot of traveling, girlfriend.
2: Boy, was I lucky at that because i my volunteer experience in bangladesh uh, allowed me to learn about microfinance i had training from uh, the grad school program i was able to combine the two and at the time there was a great interest in having microfinance workshops so i started in uh, Guyana with the bank of Nova scotia and set up a program there and then i went to haiti uh, sorry i went to uh, lebanon with save the children and then they liked that and they said oh could you go to the program in Jordan and this guy just came from Mozambique. Can you go to the office down in Mozambique? So one thing led to another. I was a freelance consultant. I worked for lots of different organizations. I worked for Women's World Banking for a while and did a lot of work in their um, Southern Africa and Eastern Africa uh, regions. And, you know, the connections with people I met, they'd say, well, let's try. Why don't you try this other place? Can you do this here? And it was so exciting because I got to go to a lot of different countries doing something I knew how to do. And then I would use, I would connect the people as I'd go along. And I really enjoyed that meeting up with people and sharing their ideas. So it wasn't just about an idea that came from Bangladesh, but it became ideas that were um, being used in these different areas. And so that was how I was able to uh, get a cover a lot of territory. So I worked in about 45 countries, um, in sort of the de- developing world. But then I also was in a lot of countries to have donor meetings at the UN and various places. So I covered a lot of European countries as well, which was also great fun. Um, when I did leave, uh, consulting after 10 years of doing this, I was averaging about 25 countries a year. And often they were, I repeat, cause I would go back and do follow-up workshop, workshops. Um, But then when I uh, moved to the UK, I got married, um, I was in a position where I didn't have to have uh, an income to do this And I decided to be on the other side, a donor and a fundraiser and the organizations I wanted to support. And then I go and visit their programs. (laughs) So I got very involved in the International Rescue Committee. And that's uh, one of the world's largest organizations that works on refugee issues. And so I really wanted to uh, go and visit some of the programs and understand what they were doing so that I could be a good fundraiser to help them out in that way. And the Fund for Global Human Rights, doing amazing things with lots of grassroots organizations. So I'd go and visit some of them, again, to try and explain to people why it was good to support these organizations. But I had the benefit of going to the field and seeing firsthand, because that was my love. So that's how I was able to tag on quite a few extra countries uh, in the last 20 years while I was living in England. And uh, But now that I'm back home, um, back in the U.S., I'm in D.C., I'm learning about how to be a good volunteer locally, and that's equally as important as being a volunteer overseas when we can't travel.
1: Well, now I see where stories from the field really came from. You literally were in the field telling these stories, jet-setting for us around the world to help educate, teach, all of that. And Susan, I want to talk to you about the local volunteering, because over the last two years, obviously, we've been challenged with uh, even being able to go out. So, you know, thinking of being out in the field or, you know, being in another country right now is a little far-fetched. Hopefully, that's going to change, and, uh, and that will start picking back up. But in the meantime, you know, people are hurting. There's a lot of uh, angst out there. There's a lot of natural disasters and unfortunate situations. And for those of us who are fortunate to say we have time, we have energy, we have compassion and caring, what would you say would be some good steps for us to look at going out into our own communities?
2: Well, there's a lot to do out there. And I certainly empathize with people's frustration at not being able to travel. But it's a good time to look around in your community Uh, Just to your point about natural disasters, the one thing I I talk about in the book a little bit is um, if you don't have experience in dealing with natural disasters or emergency situations, that's not really a good place to start volunteering. It's kind of like going into a burning house without the protective gear and everything else. Volunteering requires somebody who can supervise your activities and help you Uh, be helpful. So it's much better when it's not an emergency or life-threatening situation, much better to start where there are many local needs. So for example, I mentioned that I really am interested in refugees. Well, I can't really go to a place right now um, where the IRC is working. So what I did is I now have have a refugee living in our house and he's from Afghanistan. So it's really interesting to get to know him because he comes from a country that I've never been to, uh, one day I hope I'll have the opportunity. And so he had to leave because he was working for the government there, and he and he had gone to um, in the United States for school. So he, uh, we can communicate with one another, and he can share stories of his life, and I'm providing a place for him to get started his new life here, and that is a thing that a lot of people could do here, even if you can't make available space in your house, there's a great need for refugees from all around the world. And there are lots of fantastic local programs who do that. And it's a way of you getting to know other people's countries and cultures too, because of course they want to share that with you. And it's nice for you to be able to help them adjust to uh, a new life here. I want to make sure,
1: Susan, that everybody has access to Uh, your website and how they can get more information about your book and, and read it and be able to get inspired by that.
2: Thanks, Marilyn. The website is amazingvolunteer.com. And I did not do it. I have an amazing assistant who created the very interactive website. So even if you don't have the book, there'll be a little summary at the top of uh, each chapter about what that chapter is about with a lot of um, links to websites, TED Talks, uh, vlogs from um, volunteers who've gone out to the field. So there's a lot of information there and I would definitely start with that. And if you uh, find that it's of use, please of course feel free to buy the book. Um, But I think you would find that that would be a really useful uh, starting point. And in terms of community, local community volunteering, I would, as you say, get in touch with your local United Way, And uh, take a look at the organizations that you're interested in. For example, you could work with animals or you can work community gardens or um, a food bank. Homelessness is a huge problem in the United States. And we're all trying to figure out what can we do to address that. Friendship centers for off-reservation Indigenous people, uh, literacy program, mental health programs. There's so much to do. It does require initiative, though. So I would recommend to people just take a little time. If you just type volunteering in whatever your community is, you'll be amazed to see how many resources come up. And uh, you know, feel free to get in touch through the website at amazingvolunteer.com because There are lots of ways you can volunteer locally before you go out overseas, and I I think that's the best starting point.
1: I love that, and I'll just tell a quick story. I have a good friend here who was in the Peace Corps back in the day uh, in South Korea, and She wanted to find a way that she could volunteer in our community, and she found an organization that teaches English as a second language. Now, she wasn't really trained in English as a second language, but she did become trained because so much of what you were saying is learning, going to the people who know how to do it and saying, I'd like to be a part of this, and she did that, and for the past, like, four years, she's been volunteering and helping a a South Korean man and his family learn English. And just last uh, summer, they became American citizens. So, you know, you hear these stories and you feel so rewarded that uh, your efforts and your compassion pay it off. And yours definitely have, Susan. And I can't thank you enough for being with us on Speaking of Travel.
2: Well, it's really a pleasure. And uh, as you can tell, I feel very excited about the volunteer sector and encourage people who have an interest to just give it a try. Start, just get started. Get started. Two of my favorite
1: words. Well, Susan, thank you so much. And tell us again what your website is. Amazingvolunteer.com. Easy. Well, thank you so much for all that you do. I have to say, I read your book. I love it. And it has inspired me to find out more about volunteering in my community. Well, I want to say that there's not a day that goes by when I'm not inspired by people who are facing these challenges with grace and dignity. So how do people and communities deal with difficult, life-changing events and setbacks? Coming up next is Mark Collins, Partnerships Manager for romanticashville.com, to share how resiliency and caring for others in Western North Carolina served us all well during these past couple of challenging years. So stay tuned.
0: Why not make the most of the beautiful winter season and plan your next vacation or staycation to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains? Create your perfect winter wonderland adventure in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, romanticashville.com is a 900-page online guide covering a nearly 100-mile radius around Asheville, North Carolina. There are so many special places and awe-inspiring vistas around nearly every corner, and this is the perfect time to create safe and memorable adventures across western North Carolina. Visit romanticashville.com today.
3: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold
1: my hand. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. You know, for a show about traveling, it sure feels like we've been navigating without a map for quite some time. There have been so many ups and downs and just a flood of emotions and uncertainty. What has helped me stay on course, though, is this show. Speaking of travel provides an opportunity to hear from people from around the world and right here in our own backyard who are adapting and growing in so many ways, we're not alone on this journey, and we can be inspired by others who are facing life's challenges with grace and dignity. My guest today is also no stranger to seeing firsthand the results from people who are adapting to continuous setbacks and are able to see past them and still find enjoyment in life. Mark Collins is the Partnerships Manager for romanticAshville.com. And through it all, his team continues to build strategic partnerships throughout Western North Carolina to provide a sense of unity and a desire to foster conservation and sustainable travel. In other words, people who care. And Mark, it's always just such a pleasure to have you on Speaking of Travel.
5: Well, thank you, Marilyn. It's such a pleasure to be invited back to your show. I always feel I'm in such great company. I'm Fascinated by your guests. They always keep me thinking and wanting to hear and do more. You've become an integral part of my uh, Sunday morning listening. Romanticashville.com is proud to help sponsor this segment. I have to tell you, I eagerly await to hear what Tina Kinsey has to say. She sure keeps me up to date on what what over at the Asheville airport. And uh, listening to Chris Cavanaugh from um, Magellan last week, all I can say, these are the folks I want to hear from. They give me a ration of optimism that's always welcome and it's always necessary.
1: Well, Mark, thank you so much. And the partnerships with Romantic Asheville, the people who come on board with you to get a listing on the website and to be a part of uh, your community are really resilient people, I have to say. I have yet to speak to anybody who didn't have a story about maybe going all the way down, like as far down as they could go, shockingly so, to being able to turn it around, become even more creative, and continue to be partners with Romantic Asheville. How do you think that happens?
5: Oh, that feeds perfectly into what I'd really want to speak about about the resilience of Asheville and our tourist friends. It's the very mindset of folks here in Western North Carolina. It served us so well during the pandemic. Uh, Our earliest settlers learned to cope, be flexible, grow in ways they didn't dream possible. That steadfastness ideal was truly a survival mechanism in every aspect of the word. I feel those very traits are alive and well today. To say this area is resilient is an understatement. Tina Kinsey said on your last show together, the airport had moved from recovery to growth. I believe the same to be true for so many of our partners here in this area. But not only is our local population resilient, our travelers are too. There's a certain flexibility that has to be built into Mountain Living. Our very topography forces us to expect the unexpected. There are a lot of things that are just out of our control. The weather, roads, wildlife. For me, it steers a path of options. And options always mean exploration. Exploration leads to opportunities. And opportunities lead to knowledge and growth, personal and otherwise. And I always say, knowledge is power. So... It just really adds to the resilient base of what we have.
1: Well, I'm sure that you get a lot of calls from people who come to this region looking for answers. They're savvy. They want to make sure that they're in compliance. That must be very rewarding for you as well.
5: Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's that hope. That's, it's that savvy traveler who's testing the waters. And you're Right. There's not a day I don't feel phone calls or emails or texts from a traveler heading our way. Uh, They're searching for answers. They're very savvy. They're preparing as best they can, and that's so important in these somewhat unsettled times that we're we're living in. People inquiring about current health mandates prove they are ready to travel and expand their horizons safely. They want to come, have an extraordinary experience, return home healthy. And plan for their next trip. That's resilience. And that they care about current health protocols shows that they are at the very heart of it, caring individuals. And they're selfless too. They want to remain healthy and wish the same for everyone they come into contact with. That's so refreshing. I've seen the needle from selfishness to selflessness go way over to the selflessness over these past two years. And it sure inspires optimism and, and hope in me.
1: Well, it certainly inspires optimism and hope in me as well, especially because, you know, there's just such a variety of travel-related businesses who are part of Romantic Asheville. You know, you have lodging and dining and entertainment, and you provide all of these choices for people to make sure that they have this incredible experience. And what you're saying is that, indeed, the people who you are attracting are coming and and having these wonderful experiences.
5: Yeah, that, that's very right maryland and i'm i'm so glad i'm pretty passionate about the small part i play at at bringing folks here to travel uh romanticashville.com it's it's such a great resource it's updated regularly it's chock full of information to help plan that perfect experiential getaway all of our partners in all things related With what you said, travel-related lodgings and uh, things to do, dining, all uh, planning, planning special events like a wedding or a special picnic, we provide an array of choices to ensure visitors to our beautiful area leave with a sense of awe. It has become a touchstone for our locals, too.
1: Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that you and your team are doing, Mark, and it's a great resource that we can feel is really a model for any traveler to be able to recognize that there are people who care and looking out for them and are going to stay constant and current with their information as they begin to travel. So I guess saying, and what's that website again is a little bit silly, but let's hear it again.
5: romanticashville.com.
1: Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel, and I'll look forward to hearing from you and your team again next month.
5: Thanks, Marilyn. I just have one last thought. One of your tags, don't postpone joy, always makes me think of my dear friend, the late Lori Masterston. Her resilience and motto are things I draw strength from every day. And quite simply, be savvy, be in the know, be safe, but don't postpone your life.
1: Well, thanks, Mark. And thanks to Susan for being on Speaking of Travel. You know, looking back on the last couple of years, there are a lot of people who cut back on travel due to the pandemic. Now, we did see some major increases in 2021, but I know a good many folks who continue to scale back because of health or money concerns. But this year, there are a bunch of people who are making plans and setting their goals for planning a trip. I just wonder if making goals is enough anymore. I think you have to have a plan of action. And here's a few ways to get going. First off, ever heard of manifesting? It used to be considered a real hippie thing, but these days it's actually becoming a thing give it a try. It's something that we have some control over and can see an accomplishment. All you really need are your dreams, your goals, and thinking how nice it would be if they all really came true. And they can. You know, some people manifest their travel dreams by creating a vision board. They print out images from Pinterest or cut out magazine pictures that speak to their goals and have a way to remind them every day of the places they want to visit this year. Now, second, you might want to have some accountability for your goals. Let your friends know that over the next few months, you're actively saving for your trip and not scheduling any meals or drinks out. You would love to see them, but maybe you could go for a walk or just eat in. This makes you less likely to go back on your word later and it creates one easy decision rather than having to say no a million times. And most important, always be flexible. Set your goals, make a plan, and be ready to change everything in a New York minute. Sure, you'll be thrown off for a while, but get back on the program and make your travel dreams come true. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. Run!